1: This week on Wealth Track in this high-frequency trading world, Charlie Bobrinskoy explains why Ariel's slow and steady approach is beating the market. Next on Consuelo Mac WealthTrack. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Patience is usually considered to be a virtue, except when it comes to investing. Investors are notoriously impatient when the funds they are in underperform the market for a few years. The magic number seems to be three. There was an influential study of institutional investors done over a decade ago showing how poor their hiring and firing decisions were. Institutional investors typically fired a manager after three years of subpar performance and hired a manager after three years of exceptional performance. The only problem was the newly hired funds tended to underperform for the next several years and the fired funds would outperform. Now, Morningstar found that same pattern holds true with mutual fund investors. Morningstar's conclusion, think twice before you ditch that laggard fund in your portfolio. This week's guest hails from a firm where patience is still considered a virtue and whose slogan is slow and steady wins the race with a tortoise as its logo. He is Charles Bobrinskoy, vice chairman and head of the investment group at Ariel Investments, where he manages their focused value strategy and spearheads its thought leadership efforts. Ariel was founded by great value investor John Rogers in 1983. The flagship Ariel Fund, which Rogers launched in 1986, has beaten the market since inception and was recently ranked the number one fund in its Lipper mid cap core funds category from the 2009 market bottom. Ariel is known for its patient, long-term value approach, its contrarian strategy, and its financial research, frequently partnering with faculty at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. A recent Ariel report was on the lessons learned from the global financial crisis. I asked Bob Brunskoy to give us a briefing.
0: What we learned in the financial crisis was the best time to buy is when uh, people are panicking, when people are scared. And you have to be greedy when others are fearful. It's very hard to do, but it really is the secret to active investing.
1: So in the throes of the financial crisis, and when the market bottomed in March 9th of 2009, and the rest of the world is freaking out, you were not freaking out at Ariel?
0: We were concerned. (laughs) There's no doubt about it. But the companies that we owned uh, were not going away. We talk a lot about, uh, one name I love to talk about is Tiffany uh, which had had a just terrible 2008 because frankly Wall Street bankers uh, didn't get very good bonuses at the end of 2007 and they didn't buy Christmas presents uh, on um, Fifth Avenue at mm-hmm. the flagship store. And so Tiffany had a terrible Christmas and the stock went down. We bought it in the spring of '08, and then we saw the stock just keep going down and keep going down through all of 2008 and the beginning of 2009. But there just wasn't any doubt in our mind that Tiffany, in the end, was going to be fine. People were not not going to stop buying jewelry. But in the short term, they might buy less jewelry. And so we were confident that companies like Tiffany and CBS and KKR and other names like that were going to be fine in the long run.
1: Therefore, you have faith in the strengths of the U.S. economy and the capitalist system and more or less free market. So you are believers in the resiliency of our of our financial markets too, right? Yeah, I, even, and I wouldn't even
0: use the word faith. I, okay. I would say trust, but verify. I would right. say we do a lot of work to make sure that these companies that we invest in really have some kind of sustainable competitive advantage that is not going to go away. And as a result, we don't invest in biotech companies that might have a technology that might go away. We Mm -hmm. don't invest in software companies that might uh, find that their technological edge gets eroded. We don't invest in highly levered companies, and Mm -hmm. we can talk more about that. But if you have a lot of debt, then that company might be an okay company, but too much debt can can force it into bankruptcy. So we really work hard to take a long-term approach and only invest in names that we have done a lot of homework on and feel are going to be there for the long run.
1: Let's talk about the leveraged factor and the debt factor, because what caused the financial crisis was too much leverage and too much debt on both the consumer side and on the corporate side.
0: And what we found in the financial crisis was that even some very good companies um, had too much debt. Right. And as a result, when times got tough and their banks started having problems, the banks forced them to issue equity at the absolute worst time, when their stocks had been pushed down, when their earnings were down. And so some good companies had an even worse 2008 than they should have Mm -hmm. because of their leverage. So after 2008- Did you
1: own any of those companies? We had
0: some names. Tiffany that I mentioned had some debt. And when- the bankers stopped buying jewelry in Christmas of 07. The earnings dropped, and Tiffany had more leverage than they wanted. And so they had to go to Warren Buffett to get a loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some other great names like CB Richard Ellis, which ended up being fine. Right, but real had to firm. issue, mm-hmm. exactly, the real estate firm had to issue equity at the, at the wrong time. So, temporary mm-hmm. results for our portfolio. Were pressured by these companies issuing equity, and so and that's
1: a long-term holding as well. The CB C- Richard Ellis, right of is. yours, yeah.
0: We, we love the the uh, real estate uh, management companies. They, they have pockets of asset management. Uh, institutions have put lots of money into the real estate business, and CB Richard Ellis manages a real estate asset management business, mm-hmm. as does Jones Lang LaSalle. Mm-hmm. Another and,
1: one of your right, yeah, long-term one of our holdings, holdings. and right. uh,
0: a lot of money has gone into that business. Uh, the, the equity business is tough because there's the S&P 500 and their index funds. There really isn't the same thing in real estate investing. It's very hard to do index real estate mm-hmm. investing. So CB Richard Ellis is a, is a great company in that regard. But it had a bad 2008. And so we put in place some tests, uh, our own rating system. We found that the rating agencies uh, are slow to downgrade a company for two reasons. One, it's an admission of a mistake. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they hate to say, I was wrong. It's not as good a credit as I previously thought. And second, frankly, uh, the companies pay for the debt ratings. And so Moody's and S&P have a real, we would argue, in conflict almost Mm -hmm. incentive to not downgrade companies. And so um, what we decided to do was put in place our own debt rating system and some rules about the the debt ratings that we require for a new holding. Companies get in trouble usually not because they're insolvent, but because they're illiquid, because they don't have the cash flows to service their debt in the short run, or they have, again, a covenant that forces them to issue equity at the wrong time. So we were able to bring some of that expertise to, to bear on our process, and uh, we put some hard rules in place. New names that go into the portfolio have to have at least a double B minus rating. No single B credits in the aerial fund. And as a result, the average company in the aerial fund today has a much stronger balance sheet than the benchmarks do.
1: So where are we today as far as the, the debt situation? Um, and it's uh, it's been growing, right? Yep.
0: So, so that's a great question. Um, frankly, the fact that we've had these stronger balance sheets has actually been a relative headwind for us because interest rates have been so low. Right. The economy's been strong. Money's been available for even highly leveraged companies. It, uh, you've actually been helped by more leverage. Uh, but that won't last forever. And when we have a downturn mm-hmm. uh, and when interest rates go up, and we think eventually they will... Uh, then we think our stronger balance sheets are going to be an advantage, even though they've been a headwind.
1: Why were these the more speculative companies rewarded versus you know, the ones that you think we would all want to own in our portfolio, which are you know, solid, high-quality companies?
0: So we've had a pretty good economy for the last 10 years. That helps that weaker company barely getting by. Second thing is if you barely have enough earnings to cover your fixed charges, your interest expense, again, a slightly improving economy gives you a little cushion. And then lastly, interest rates have stayed so low. Right. That's very helpful for the lower quality, highly levered, lots of debt company.
1: Except, you know, you specialize in behavioral finance. What is it about investor behavior that they have been attracted to those companies?
0: Well, the the one offset to what I just said is that there were a lot of people that were frightened by the uh, recession. Oh, absolutely. And come in 2009- People wanted safety. And mm-hmm. so they actually didn't want the smaller companies. The right. com- they wanted to invest in the safer consumer staples. They wanted to put their money in Coke and Pepsi or in electric utilities. Mm-hmm. Um, dividends. Div- and give, dividends, dividend pay. Yeah. And so actually, while everything that you and I have been talking about, about how the environment's been very good for more leveraged companies, this has actually been an environment when people, investors have wanted safety. Mm-hmm. They haven't wanted cyclicality. People keep thinking that a recession is just around the corner. Um, anything with a little bit of economic sensitivity to it is actually trading. Some of them are trading at less than 10 times earnings. Mm-hmm. So we, there are lots of names that we talk about, but Borg Warner is a company that makes powertrains in the automotive industry, a wonderful company, trading at 7 times earnings right now. Um, KKR is a spectacular company, but everybody private thinks... Equity mm-hmm. Private equity firm. Private equity firm, Colbert, Kravitz & Roberts. Right. Uh, they run leverage buyouts. If the economy turns down, their profits are going to turn down. And so they trade at 11 times earnings. Mm-hmm. The market right now wants... Predictability and safety. People are still scarred by what happened in the Great Recession.
1: Right. Except, you know, again, I'm looking at market valuations and certainly the small cap stocks have done the best.
0: Yeah. So you, you do have to break it down a little bit more. Okay. So okay. it's it's Netflix and the FANG stocks started off small. Uh, they, it wasn't Microsoft and Netflix has done a lot better than Microsoft. Okay. So uh, it isn't the case that all small companies have done well. Smaller industrial companies actually haven't done that mm-hmm. well, but it is absolutely the case that the technology, the social media names, the growth have done, has done extremely well. This was the worst 10 years for value mm-hmm. relative to growth, really, in the last 100
1: years. Right. Woof. I didn't realize it was the last 100 years. Um, So your explanation, of course, people are coming up to you and saying, I'm sure, is value investing dead. Yeah.
0: And uh, they are saying that a lot. They're saying, why don't you own any Facebook? Why don't you own Google? And that comes back to what we talked about, about what did we learn in the Great Recession is you have to be willing to buy what others are selling Mm -hmm. and sell what others are buying. And right now, people are buying FANG stocks and growth stocks and asking right. us why we don't own them. And it's not easy right now mm-hmm. to not own Apple, mm-hmm. to not own Facebook. But we think those stocks are, are overpriced, and we think our steady-eddy industrial
1: companies uh, are much better values today. So fearful when others are greedy, greedy when others are fearful. That's exactly right. Uh, where are you? Are you greedy or fearful right now at Ariel? Yeah, or somewhere we, we in between? think-
0: People are on edge. I mean, the question we get the most is, "Hasn't this recovery gone on too long?" Right. Hasn't this bull market run too long?
1: But they're asking that. But what if, do their investment patterns reflect? Their concern. I mean, are they like underinvested in equities, for instance?
0: they? They are. They are. Uh, okay. And they, the kinds of equities that they're buying are still very defensive. Mm-hmm. They're still they're still stretching for yield. Because interest rates are so low, so they're bidding up the price of utilities. Right, which have actually done very pay. well, right? Yes, they've done very well yeah. in a low interest rate environment. Um, so, And they're not buying the companies that have economic right. exposure. So um, so if
1: they're fearful, you can feel you can be a little bit greedy, That's right? exactly right. All right. So, so where are you being greedy? Where, where, what's really unpopular that you're uh, investing in?
0: So uh, our favorite asset class right now, our favorite kind of company, is actually alternative asset managers. KKR, Blackstone uh, would be two names we would come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's a great business model. In our business, running equity portfolios, we get paid less than 1% per year. Mm-hmm. If you run a portfolio of private equity investments or real estate investments, <laughs> you get 2 and 20 you get 2% of the money that you're managing right. plus 20% of the profits. It's that's an, a hedge
1: fund, right? Those no, that's, our that's hedge a private funds. equity Oh, fund. private equity yeah. gets that too.
0: Yes. KKR oh. and Blackstone get that. Not oh. in every fund that they run. Right. They run real estate f- funds that don't get quite that. Mm-hmm. But a leveraged buyout fund, mm-hmm. uh, which is where KKR and Blackstone started, get 2 and 20. Right. And they don't have to give it back if they lose money. Mm-hmm. It's an extraordinary business. And yet these stocks trade for 11 and 12 times earnings in a market that's at 16 or 17 times Mm -hmm. earnings. So they traded big discounts. Why? Because people think that they're sensitive, their earnings are sensitive to the stock market and to the economy. Now, um, what's also been great about it is that there have been a concentration of the people who are managing that money. It used to be that there were new leverage buyout firms coming out every year. Now the big institutions are starting to concentrate their money with the big players. So KKR and Blackstone are getting a bigger percentage of a growing pie.
1: Yeah, it's a big, it's really growing fast. It I mean, really the money is. flowing into private equity is huge.
0: They're raising record new funds. Right. We thought they would never again raise funds as big as the funds they raised in 07 and 06. They're breaking records with their fundraising.
1: Two things. Number one, doesn't that worry you that so much money is pouring into the private equity space? And doesn't that feel like a top? And the second thing is that they are leveraged. And I thought that was something that Ariel wanted to avoid.
0: Yeah. So the actual companies that we invest in, they themselves are not leveraged. Okay. They, they have no debt at the KKR level or at the Blackstone level. In fact, they have balance sheets with lots of investments that we are part owners of. So they actually have uh, almost no debt at the corporate level. They run portfolios of companies that do have leverage, but they're non-recourse loans to the parent company. Mm -hmm. So in the private equity business, you're gonna have individual companies that don't make it. But you can only lose 100%, one times the equity that you put in. You can make five, 10, 20 times. So you get all the upside and only one times the downside. And so it's very different from um, the impact that a, a corporate corporation that you own that had a lot of stock, if you had that in our portfolio of 40 stocks at Ariel and it went bankrupt, that would be a big deal. They have multiple funds with lots of different holdings, and so the individual companies being leveraged doesn't introduce the same risk.
1: Uh, do you own both KKR and Blackstone? We do, and mm-hmm. we
0: love uh, CBB Richard Ellis, which mm-hmm. runs portfolios of companies and has very attractive fee structure. We own Jones-Lang LaSalle, uh, which has the same kind of uh, portfolio. So we think the alternative asset management business is a great business that the stock market just doesn't seem to like.
1: Behavioral finance, again, and, and one of the things that Ariel prides itself on is you do a, a, a lot of kind of academic research. You work closely with the University of Chicago. Right. So what is, what has that produced as far as Research that you have actually put to use—that's been most useful to you to make you better investors—is there one? This is a topic we just love
0: to talk about because we had as our instinct that the market is very psychologically oriented and and affected by fear and greed, and yet for a long time the academics contested that. They said no, it was efficient market theory. Exactly. Right, and so. Those of us who said the market is psychologically scared this week or greedy this week, the, the professors would kind of poo-poo it. Now they've come around to our point of view. And they really there is a lot of work that's been shown that that individuals have some mistakes that they tend to make mm-hmm. on a psychological basis and that that translates to the whole market. And you, as you know, that that's called behavioral finance. Mm-hmm. And there are some mistakes that the market makes in a predictable way probably the the three that are the most important are, first, anchoring. People are slow to adjust their valuations and their estimates when new information comes in. The second very powerful uh, behavioral tendency is loss aversion. People hate to take losses. They put twice as much weight on losses as they do on gains. And as a result, people will often stick with problem stocks and losing positions longer than they should mm-hmm. because if they sell, there's no chance that they'll get back to even. So people actually become risk-seeking oh. as they lose money in the hope that they'll get back to even. Uh, and the third is actually an important one. It's confirmation bias, and we mm-hmm. all do it. If we have an opinion, we tend to look for information that confirms our previously held belief. And we tend to reject information and work hard to disprove evidence that disagrees with what we Mm -hmm. think. And we find that that fighting against that is a way that you can just become a better thinker. And we work hard every day at Ariel to fight confirmation biases. We have whole processes we've put in place, including a devil's advocate program to push back and fight that tendency for confirmation.
1: One of the things that, you know, we've talked about you being an independent thinker and the approaches that you take is that you you invest in companies that have short-term problems uh, that, that you think are going to work out longer term. That's right. so, so give us some current examples. And I know one of the companies that you own is CBS.
0: Yeah. So that's a wonderful example. We think CBS is a great company. It is the Tiffany of networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be around for a long time. But there's a short-term headwind. Everybody thinks right now they're going to buy Viacom, and people think that that's not going to be good for CBS in the short run. That they will be um, the arb community will buy the seller and sell the buyer. Sure,
1: which they usually do. Which right. is what
0: they usually do, and so the stock will be pressured in the short term. Okay, fine. In the long run. Uh, CBS is going to be great. There's more money every year that goes into political advertising. CBS owns a lot of local TV stations around the country. Mm-hmm. Even though the ones that they don't own are getting more and more political advertising every year. Sports is very important to TV. Live sports, CBS is extremely well positioned. And frankly, CBS has just a wonderful library of programming. No um, distributor, DirecTV, Comcast could ever live without CBS. And so... Uh, we think the long-term is great for CBS. The earnings are going to grow a lot the next couple of years, and yet it's trading at less than 10 times earnings, again, in a market that's more than 17.
1: You mentioned alternative investments, and another one that's not, but is in the financial services uh, industry, is Lazar. So talk to us about Lazar, which I think of as an investment banking company, but there's something else going on there, That's right. right.
0: Everybody thinks of it as an investment banking company, and they actually have a wonderful emerging market asset management business that a lot of people don't uh, really understand or even know they Mm -hmm. have. There's a lot of fee pressure in domestic uh, equity investing, but in international, it's much harder to have an index fund. There's no Vanguard S&P 500 for international, particularly for emerging markets. Mm -hmm. You could get an index for developed markets. It's much tougher in emerging markets. And so Lazard has excellent fees. Uh, in that space. We think it's going to grow. It's been short-term challenged as the U.S. dollar has been strong and emerging market currencies have been weak. And so those emerging markets have underperformed the U.S. market. But in the long run, again, there's a nice trend towards major institutions wanting to diversify outside of the U.S. And Lazard's very well positioned for that.
1: And and another one that I'll tee up that you had mentioned to me is a company called Stericycle, which I had never heard of.
0: Yeah. So this is a, a Chicago company. We do try to get to know the names in our right. uh, neck of the woods. This is a stock that traded at north of 20 times earnings for a long time because it's in the medical waste removal business. Think of it as waste management, except for they're dealing with hospitals, mm-hmm. needles, all the medical waste that is very dangerous. And it's a highly regulated industry, mm-hmm. and, and Stericycle is by far the number one uh player in medical waste removal. They had some accounting issues. They made a number of acquisitions that they didn't put the new accounting system in. And frankly, they had a number of these uh, acquired companies had some very aggressive pricing policies for local doctor's office. The local doctor doesn't really watch his bill very closely, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they were upping prices too much. And so they've had some fines that they've had to pay, and so it's going to put short-term pressure on. The company's earnings, the stock dropped from 22 times earnings down to 13 times earnings. We think it's a very exciting uh, company that has uh, the leader in a very protected business.
1: One investment for a long term diversified portfolio. Again, it's a long term diversified portfolio. What should I own some of?
0: I think you should own some KKR. It's a wonderful business with a great fee structure. It, nobody. Uh, it's very hard to get into the business. Nobody else right. is going to be raising $5 billion funds next year. Uh, they produce great returns. The institutional investors that they work for need higher returns and can't take short uh, bond fund returns, so mm-hmm. they're going to put more money into private equity and alternative assets. I think being an owner of KKR would be the one stock that I would want to own if I could only own one
1: stock. All right. Charlie Babinsko, thank you so much for being with us on Wealth WealthTrack.
0: Thank you for having me. There. I really enjoyed this.
1: At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is a pleasurable one. It is to read or reread Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist by Roger Lowenstein. Books about Buffett have become an industry. But this biography of the legendary investor, published in 1995, is still one of the best. It gives you a fascinating and detailed portrait of every period of his life until 1995, the experience that shaped him, his obsession with making money from an early age that has extended to this day, and the evolution of his investment approach from his first classes with Benjamin Graham at Columbia Business School to the present. The book is an insightful, fascinating gem. Well, next week, we will discuss the hot area of impact investing with Calvert Fund's Vishal Kanduja and IX Investments' Christine Harada. Of note, Warren Buffett's grandson co-founded IX Investments. On this week's Extra Feature, Charlie Bobrinskoy has advice on how parents can get their children hooked on investing. And we look forward to staying connected with you all on Facebook and Twitter and also through our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.